Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 155. My name is NBZ and I don't have anything witty to say, you know. Sometimes you just enter into a podcast and you, you have all these expectations, Bally, you know. People are there being like, how are you going to start this podcast? Are you going to say something cool and fun? And then you're like, no, just uh, I just don't have anything. There's really nothing nothing's coming today um so i'm just gonna be honest about it you know honesty is of course the best thing to sometimes to you just gotta get it done yeah here we're gonna do a podcast that's what it's yeah, about exactly know? straight laced straight up um and and talking about it here is you as well bali you're here you're the co-host of this podcast how are you doing i'm very good we are it's a little weird because we're recording quite early but this yeah. happens occasionally and it does it's um, fun you know it's one of those things where it kind of to some degree shocks me that we have been consistent for like six years and i don't think we i think there was one time where we were like a day delayed on a on a monday episode of a podcast but aside from that we've pretty much put out a podcast every yeah. second monday without fail so i think that's we, pretty we plan ahead. cool yeah if you if you're a good planner and you know what's coming up and you organize miracles can happen friends they really can um, scheduling it's it's a smart thing to do so here we are in our appointed time to discuss the world of video games um, and nintendo video games more specifically so that's what we are going to do for you all so let's uh, kick things off Bally, by telling us what we're going to be chatting about in the show today first segment we're going to be talking about the games that we have been playing second segment will be an emails segment and for the third segment we're gonna have a bit of a discussion about ports coming to switch uh there's been a lot of them recently and we just wanted to have a chat about what what might come in the future what we hope for what we predict might happen um and just check in on that and just the state of it i think right because ports are a contentious issue for some uh, and you know the quality of them and, and the studios that are doing them and things like that and we're at a point where two huge ones have just come out for switch which i don't know at the start of this system's life cycle i ever in my wildest dreams imagined that the witcher 3 and overwatch would be on this platform but they are um so i think it's just interesting to to look back on the last uh, couple of years or so of this system and, and how it got to the place it is as well as uh, where it's going to go so so yeah that will be a uh, run of show for you let's uh, get right into it then but let's talk about video games those lovely things that we'd like to chat about um and tell us uh, what you've been playing i just wanted to play a short game uh for this podcast basically because i've just got so much on my plate still moving into the flat work's very busy right now and i was like i want to play yeah. something short i want to talk about it when life is uh, big and long and taking all your time away, you just need something that you can yeah. you know, quickly just hop in and exactly. out Exactly, and there are some long games coming up. Uh, so a game that you've recommended to me a, a long time ago, it's, on, it's yeah. on, my, on my list, let's just say, is Ink, uh, uh-huh. which came out in 2015, I believe. Um, yes. And you talked about this game back in episode 46, I think it was. And I okay. went back and listened to your thoughts on this game. It's fun <laughs> so, how we can do that, isn't it? We yeah. just, you know, capture every moment of our discussions on video games. And it's a really neat little game. Uh, for those who don't know, it's essentially a splatformer where initially platforms are invisible and your double jump splatters paint uh, which makes the platforms gradually appear and then every time you die the paint stays in place so you know where the platforms are for next time exactly uh, so you're kind of building the level yeah. as you die almost. and 
often you talk about like hit boxes in a game like this where this game i don't think they're really like you the visual style almost is the hitbox like the hitbox doesn't go because you play as a block and the enemies are blocks and the other things that you can hit are blocks and spikes so the hitbox feels very accurate in in that sense like there's nothing right because you know you are a square and you would imagine a hitbox is just your square around you so in a post celeste platforming world that we now live in um i think that it really turns the heat up on games like ink when you go back to them so for me the platforming initially felt like the horizontal movement in particular was very exaggerated and it felt Hmm. like the weight that you moved was very like like it would hard be hard to turn your weight back and not in like a, a donkey kong country kind of way which kind of feels right this kind of felt a bit weird because obviously the block is quite a small unit you would expect it can kind of shift back and forth a bit quicker and i found that initially this was quite frustrating and at times i was almost fighting the mechanics but then as i got to the later stages of the game and you know you have time to practice the mechanics it is a very short game although it did still take me about a good three hours maybe even three and a half four hours like that that is insane to me as someone who some of the later levels were i found really tough Um, it gets hard but like as someone who sat there for like maybe an hour and played this whole thing (laughs) maybe i played like an expanded version who knows but um... uh i doubt that but sure (laughs) uh, i eventually did get a lot more used to the the controls and that it works it's it's fine fine is maybe selling it sure it's it's a it's a good game i really enjoyed it Yeah, i mean i thought that it had controls that were akin to meat boy back when i played it and you know obviously this was a while ago um but in my memory it felt pretty good uh and you know of course i have gone back and retroactively played stuff like super meat boy in in a post celeste world and my thoughts were actually maybe this doesn't feel as good as it used to but maybe that's also because i'm jumping into the game without the context of starting it over from the beginning relearning it and and things like that if i'm just jumping into a random level that's really hard i'm not going to get a good idea of actually how it felt to build up to that point um so i think maybe i would retract some of my thoughts uh, in terms of that for super meat boy definitely and like any any tough action game whether it's driving racing you know platforming i think that you can get into a groove through muscle memory and training absolutely and like like to be frank about it when i first started playing celeste i didn't like the controls i didn't like the movement i actually thought it was kind of bad (laughs) no to, to be brutally honest i wasn't fully vibing with celeste in the first level or so um it took me a while to acclimatize to the feel because it does feel quite different to something like meat boy Mm. um so so it was a little bit of an adjustment period of like okay the dash works like this and this is how it's gonna kind of work with momentum so yeah i mean i mean i get that notion of jumping into something and kind of immediately being like well i don't know how this feels i would say the same of dead cells when i first started playing dead cells i was like oh this is a bit too weighty like his jump feels a little too low but the game is designed around that right and eventually once you get into the groove of it you start to understand why it feels that way because yeah. the entire level design is is built around that particular feel yeah and, and it's easy to feel like there's a right and a wrong when really in reality it's just celeste has dominated people's taste of what they define as right and wrong in a way where people think oh it doesn't feel like and i was saying this to you over whatsapp oh it doesn't feel yes. like celeste it's it's bad but actually it's just different and i think people especially people who are big fans of 2d platformers like we are on the show like 
have now held Celeste at that standard. And as you said, going back to Meat Boy, and this game does actually, I would agree, does feel quite close to Meat Boy, especially in that sideways uh, movement. Um, yeah. Something we can agree on, though, Super Mario Brothers 3 feels bad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, you compare these to 2D Mario generally, I would even argue, and like... 2D Mario yeah. feels fu- feels good, feels fine, but like... Well, I don't know, like, there, there's the strand of Mario that's in Mario Maker, I actually think feels really good, comparative to those older yeah. games. Yeah, because they've, they've subtly changed it, they've not, yes. yeah. know, that's the one thing they've not st- stuck to. Like, the, the physics are more in line with the new Super Mario Brothers games, which I yeah. think generally feel a bit better than the older ones they do but compared to the the sort of the platformers it does feel very slow and sluggish in a way that uh very skiddy like slides like mario slides a lot yeah um not even luigi length of sliding but just mario but yeah but but we can talk in depth about different styles of platformers and things but and this one is good and i like we just need more two to three hour experiences of all sorts of genres in my view like they're like short experiences that i think work really well on a platform like the switch that are cheaper on the eShop, can go on sale uh in a world of so many long games it is good to have these shorter games and i certainly like to check in with them every now and then um and i think it does what it says on the tin very well like this game It's it's a cool concept uh iterates on that concept how did you feel about the idea of of the paint and how it worked did you feel like it got old at a point in time or did you enjoy the way that it evolved the concept and how it kind of you know elaborated as it went on the concept doesn't evolve a ton i would say and some of my frustrations with the later levels were actually similar to a game like meat boy where the enemies are like homing missiles <laughs> that just oh, feel yes yeah um and and that's the thing that uh, although uh, obviously homing missiles aren't technically rng um they do mean that every time you're replaying the level it will be slightly different and that's right because it's supposed to be down to your dexterity as opposed to just muscle memory to some extent right and that's very different to a moving platform which while yes it is different the platform moving is not controlled by you whereas the where the missile goes is and as a result sure you can the muscle memory training for a, a moving platform feels very different and more fair in my view to it's just consistency isn't yeah. it you can more reliably do the thing versus when it's less out of your control exactly and so i personally like that consistency more in a game like celeste i think focuses a lot more on that consistency and th- this almost the celeste version of a homing missile is just a uh, battle line uh, who will like follow you which is different right. i would argue to a yeah. missile in that it is more precise and i actually prefer that precision personally where there were parts of meat boy where i was like oh god the homing missile got me because i just jumped at this angle and it doesn't whereas getting caught by bad line feels more fair well it's your fault because you made that path right that you have an evil shadow following exactly where you went yeah sometimes getting caught by that missile feels unfair even though obviously it's not rng and you have controlled where that missile has gone but that's just a small gripe and i think hey if i was making a similar game i'd probably put in a homing missile mechanic because it it were it's like it's neat and works it makes the game hard um it's just i i personally prefer uh something chasing you systematically rather than sure a homing missile but that, that's yeah. my only gripe and generally it was very hard but i liked that i was expecting that and 
I did conquer it. Uh, and yeah, it's a neat little game. It's on the Switch. I recommend sticking it on your watch list, people. And then when you see it go on sale, it's definitely worth picking up. I don't think it was too expensive. I think I picked this and... I mean, it's really cheap to begin with, I think. So, yeah, I picked yeah. this and Goose Game up when they were both on sale for a combined total of like £8 once you factored in my discount that I'd racked. I think I'd racked up about four quid or something. So it, it felt very cheap at the time. So yeah, Ink, I'd definitely recommend yeah um which i played initially when it came out on pc uh and then later on uh you know came came to this this is this is why i've played more switch games than umbz because all of the indie darlings that were building yes. up over the years have now just been dumped on the switch and i've been working exactly. my way through them where and like this is an example of a game that nobody talks about because it is really small like it was patrick Clapic was the one who turned me on to it years ago and it you know i don't imagine this game is dumped particularly well and it is one of those games that is hidden on the switch eShop. and if you don't know about it you're not going to find it and it doesn't really stand out amongst a crowd in terms of its you know artwork or anything so you'll look at it probably and, and not really think too much and i think that is that is the one shame of the switch eShop. is it it does surface stuff that is popular so like hollow knight and stardew and all that stuff's going to do well but there are things that are actually really good that kind of get buried under a lot of the shit. Yeah. There is a lot of shit on the eShop that just isn't of quality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, the, the eShop is good for that absolute top tier, which I guess games like Hollow Knight, Stardew, you know, Celeste absolutely are. Uh, and then Ink, which is arguably like a mo- bit more B tier and just, you know, yeah. a much smaller game. I feel the same get... about um, Extermination Force, right? Like, yeah. I, I want to yeah. shout from the rooftops like, hey, guys, play Extermination Force, play Ink, because no one else is going to talk about those games. And I think that we, as a podcast, are kind of able to focus on some things like that that we, Definitely. you know, yeah. as, as curators to some degree, can be like, hey, these games are really good. You should check them out. Yeah. And, and we kind of almost know about a game like extermination force through gum and clive and then right i guess we knew about that because we'd listened to radio free nintendo so it's like there is a knock-on effect of like more niche podcasts or gaming outlets just talking about more niche games and then those people who are making the niche games make sequels to those niche games then you talk about them and like there's a bit of a snowball effect and it's very i hope that we as a show can be part of that snow snowball effect to shine a bit of a light on some of the small stuff because i think it's absolutely important. yeah yeah definitely definitely for sure cool. MBZ, good stuff what have you been playing uh yeah so i've been playing fire emblem at the gym so let's return to like what a couple of years ago when we talked about playing ace attorney on my 3ds at the gym um because that was like i was testing it out i was like can i you know i get bored at the gym pretty easily if i'm on a cardio or something i'm like doing a bike and i'm like listening to a podcast but like you know i'm not content to do two things at once i need to do three things at once are you honestly not content doing cardio with a podcast you need more than that well yeah i am i am to some degree but like you know i I feel like i can be more efficient with my time (laughs) um and so i was like okay so what if i do like uh incline walking you know up a hill and also play fire emblem at the same time and it's easy for me because so blackie i'm going through black eagles again because there's this is minor spoilers but i think a lot of people know this by now (laughs) yeah i agree there there is a secret fourth path in this game um and it happens with if you choose black eagles so my initial run i didn't do it 
because I couldn't find it. Um, so I never got to experience that. So I did a one particular run. But I had a backup save file that was about 15 hours into the game. So it meant that I could just jump into this without having to restart all over from the beginning again for a new path. So that's what I did. So I jumped into this and blazed my way through the rest of the kind of um pre-time skip era because i'd already done it right like i'd already seen all that stuff i didn't need to so this was the nice thing about playing this at the gym was it gave me a way to do a lot of grunt work that i wasn't necessarily looking forward to doing right which is just playing this exact same thing i've already done um and because of that i can turn off animations play really quickly uh, fast forward through cutscenes, skip all the support conversations I've not seen, and you would be surprised at how fast you can just bomb through that game when you do that, right? Because mm. so much of Three Houses is in the monastery downtime, figuring out what do you want to do, where do you want to go, listening to support conversations, cups of tea, cups of tea watching cutscenes. Like it is, it is a slow game, and I like that about it, right? I like the languid pace. I like that it is really getting you to invest in the students and invest in spending time with them that said i didn't want to do that when i'd already done the exact same thing right it's slightly different with my you don't want to do it three times four no times. well or four times but it's slightly <laughs> different with blue line and golden deer because in those scenarios i want to see all the support conversations yeah. so i am taking a bit more of my time and also they're new characters so i am more invested in oh i don't know what to do with ignatz or i don't want to know what to do with Raphael. so I'm trying to figure out my paths for them. Where should I tutor them in and, and things like that? So it's slightly different with the other paths, whereas this one, it was just like, well, I'm just going to bang through. And so I did. Uh, and and the Switch, I have to tell you, going to the gym and playing the Switch, it is the most perfect system for doing this ever made because you can just leave the screen there and you just have one Joy-Con in each hand. And yeah, you get sweaty, but your Joy-Con, you can easily put them down. You can wipe them off. Like, it's really not that hard to to use them in that way so i i really enjoyed doing that i still am doing it to some degree though a bit less so because i'm now post time skip i'm maybe three or four chapters in there so i'm getting close to the end um but it means that i've not seen this stuff before so i am just finishing off some support conversations i haven't seen as well as you know getting the cutscenes, getting the story from a different perspective um and and, and finishing it up and uh yeah it's certainly interesting it's been interesting in terms of the differences and in terms of there is a lot of map recycling in this game i've noticed um a lot of the paralogue chapters one in particular there's a lava chapter that's both a paralogue chapter and then later on is a story chapter and it's really weird because if you've done the paralogue chapter you've already been to that exact same map and then you arrive at that same map in the story and they're like oh wow this place looks dangerous and i'm like motherfuckers you've all been here before we did this part <laughs> of so you know what yes. it is <laughs> no but it's it, it's literally the exact same map though like it's not even that it's just the same environment it's the copy and pasted map so people are like they're like oh this place is dangerous watch out for this and i'm like motherfuckers we did this before you already watched out for it once um so it's a bit of a contrivance in that sense and i think that they because their ambitions of having three different paths they didn't have the resources to have completely unique maps for every single scenario so there is reuse going on and you know there's there are locations that you go to in both of these paths that i've done so far that are slightly repurposed so like you're, you'll start the map at a different end that you started it last time and the layout of the enemies will be totally different and sometimes there'll be chests sometimes there won't um so it is i think it is interesting to see the 
the differences uh, between those uh, you know versions and, and how they change um and yeah there is there is a lot of the story that is very different there's some of the gameplay stuff that is similar uh, so i would i would say like it's not completely uh unique but i haven't played the other parts yet so i'm gonna have to wait and see and kind of make a judgment on that as i go but uh yeah i've i put another 20 hours into that thing uh just because it's i find it very easy to play fire emblem and time just kind of melts when i play that game so uh so yeah i'm going strong on that i'll probably finish that up soon but the game that i have spent the most time playing and it is a game i am now fucking in love with and everyone was talking about it this year and i was like yeah i should probably get to that at some point is slay the spire slay the spire a game that probably given my uh you know likes and dislikes is not something you would expect me to get super into um a roguelike card game right uh obviously we both really enjoy steamworld quest earlier this year mm. and i remember when people were talking about that game they were saying that it's kind of a good gateway drug to something like slay the spire because you know steamworld quest is based around having cards in a deck and using them in rpg battles and slay the spire is pretty much that the only difference is is that it's a roguelike and so you start each run and every time you start you have very basic cards you get five attack cards and five defense cards and it's simple right so you don't i think the thing that makes this so approachable to someone like me the part of card games that turns me off and why i never got too deep into hearthstone despite like really enjoying hearthstone a lot playing quite a bit of it is that notion of building a deck and having a what a strategy that builds across every card how many versions of each card you're having it's like when we did pokemon trading cards you know like building a synergy making sure you have enough of this enough of that and like with pokemon cards there were certain rules that we thought were smart which is have three of a basic type then two of its evolution and then one of the third evolution um to to round out your deck or whatever to make it so that you're more likely to get basics but there is the off chance you get the second evolution and then there's the off chance you get the final one but with hearthstone i just i didn't understand it on a broad enough level to be able to confidently feel like i could do that um, and i think a lot of people tend to do the thing similar to when i played competitive pokemon is you know you go to Terabi, you go to smogon and you're like okay what's a good team i'm just going to make this team and use that one a lot of competitive hearthstone you know online would be oh um, i'm just going to take the team that this guy made because he knows how to make one you know so that's what always turned me off because for me like i always like making my own thing and if i don't feel like i'm good enough to do that i'm not going to want to go through the hassle of, of doing so mm. slay the spire is different because every time you fight an enemy and beat them you get a new card and it gives you three options it's like three cards here choose one and you keep it and because it is that slow build of building your deck one card at a time you slowly by slowly start to build up these strategies and you slowly realize okay if i take this card i already have this one in my deck that could work really nicely because it has this certain effect that means i'll get an extra turn or get extra damage or more energy and do you keep that deck for that run and then it goes or you keep yes the deck? exactly okay, right so and i think that's the real fun thing about this game is that every run you will have a completely different strategy because your deck will... is being forced to change all the time yes absolutely and and as a result of that because these cards are random because you are kind of taking them there'll be runs where you're focusing on one particular thing and you'll ignore other cards that don't necessarily fit with that synergy right so there was a run i did the other day which was 
it was all about getting as many low energy cards into my hand as possible um so just to set up the base mechanics of it you get it every time you um start a fight you'll draw your cards you'll have depending on the character because there's multiple characters as well so that's another layer but you'll get five cards in your hand and you'll have three energy to start with and so all the cards have different costs associated with them so it's similar to hearthstone uh which i know you've not played bali but it's, it's this idea that you know in hearthstone you have this mana pool that you draw from and it slowly goes up over time this can change but for the most of the game it's it's three so like you'll have a card which costs zero so you don't use any energy you have a card which costs you know three so you'll use up all your energy on that turn uh but there are obviously cards that can reduce that and and things of that nature i i guess i mean steamworld quest did this as well didn't it right with the cogs um right so it, you know you you understand that i think that game was far more about building up a huge amount and then using them versus this is much more set in its way so you have okay three. so this deck that i was building was based around having as many low cost cards as possible so i wasn't expending that much energy but i was doing lots of damage um and one of the things you can get is shivs so shivs are zero cost cards that just disappear as soon as you use them and so it was built around this one card that every time i attacked in a turn it would do eight damage so the idea would be have all these cards that give you loads of like really low energy attacks so i'd have a card that gives me two shivs and i'd have a uh zero cost attack i'd have a one cost attack i'd have another one which would give me another energy the next turn so you would have these turns and i also had a card which was a power card that every when i played it in a match at the start of my turn it would add a zero cost shiv card to my hand so i built up this deck where essentially i would come across the card that did eight damage every time i did a hit and i'd do like seven attacks in one turn and then i'd play that card and that card would then do eight damage seven times back to back which is just stacking up loads of damage and you know mark brown did a video on this about synergies and how they work and, and the way slay the spire does them and there are so many synergies in this game it's unbelievable the satisfaction you find in stringing these things together and just figuring out a strategy that works on that particular run um it's really really good and you get in this mindset you really get hooked on figuring out the best approach like what order to play your cards in um the the game is really based around the system of enemies will do debuffs to you you'll kind of you can do stuff to them as well but it's at its core value it's about doing damage and building your own defense because another thing that this does which is similar to into the breach um into the breach was all about showing you what the enemy was going to do the next turn this game does that as well so it will tell you hey buddy the enemy is angry it's gonna do 11 damage four times to you next turn and you're sitting there and you're like oh shit because your health bar has to last through this entire run um so you can rest at places so you can go to campfires and it will heal you up but those are kind of sparing they're they're not that frequent so it's really about mitigating as much damage done to you as possible um and there are lots of different ways to do this right there there are defense like healing cards or no not healing cards um there are potions that can heal you sometimes but it's more about using cards that give you extra defense so there is one card that doubled your defense so you could have 
two cards that are defense cards, which will give you 10, but the enemy's going to hit you for 20. But if you have a card that doubles the amount of defense, you play your two defense cards, then you play the double defense card, and now you're taking no damage because it's just hitting your barrier, essentially. Um, so that's what I'm talking about in terms of the order in which you play is so crucial as well because it it results in turns where if you if you don't do that in the correct order then your strategy is just going to fall apart so so it really engages your brain on a on a pretty deep level actually it's one of those things where i was listening to podcasts while playing it but i very quickly realized i wasn't taking anything in at all because my whole brain energy was focused on thinking about each turn and also trying to think ahead and, and be like okay well if this if he's defending on this turn more than likely he's gonna attack next turn so i need to make sure that i keep defensive cards in my hand um and usually what will happen at the end of your turn is you'll discard your current hand and you'll draw a new one but there are these things called relics um, and you'll get relics from defeating bosses from defeating elite enemies which are harder enemies and relics can be good they can have negative effects to them but more often than not they're really helpful and they will give you like little added bonuses so by the end of a run you should end up with like 10 or 12 of these things and they each stack upon each other so they'll all add to your broader strategy so if you're going with a defensive deck and it seems like that's what you're building towards when you get the chance to choose a relic you might want to choose a relic that is thorns which means when the enemy hits you they take three damage every time they hit you um, as a defensive measure or you could take a, a relic that lets you keep your deck at the end of your turn so if you know the enemy is going to do a big attack and you don't want to discard all your defense cards that you you know for some reason because it's a card game there's an element of randomness to it so if you've built up a bunch of defense cards but that particular turn you're like well i need to do damage this turn when that turn ends you don't want to waste them so they end up in your discard pile but if you have the relic that lets you keep them in your hand then you can be prepared for the next turn so that one in particular i found really helpful um and and there's just so many of these things and because because there are three different characters there are three different decks of cards each character has their own inbuilt relic they start with they all have particular strategies that they're kind of based around so uh the silent which is this green character with like a skull mask he is based around doing poison damage so a lot of it is just over time building up poison building up poison so you slowly kill your enemy um, and so if you're going for that strategy you really want to pick up cards that are all based around that versus the defect which is even more unique he has this ability to take charges and so he has lightning charges dark charges uh frost charges and each of those do different things at the end of your turn so lightning will do three damage to the enemy frost will give you two defense at the end of your turn um, and dark is really interesting because it the longer it stays within your set it will build up six damage each time until you evoke it. It reminds me of Melia from Xenoblade Chronicles. Now, I know mm. you didn't play as Melia in Xenoblade, but I think Melia was mainly based around building up all this energy and then expending it. And so the idea behind this dark card, I had this strategy which basically won me my first run. So I have finished a run in this game where there's a particular card that will evoke that particular element uh, the number of times that you have energy right so if you have three energy it will do it three times 
So I built up this dark energy to where it was going to do 42 damage if I expended it. But I played the card, which was expend it X number of times, and I had full energy on that turn. So it expended 42 damage three times in a row, and I killed a boss from like half health. And that felt fucking amazing, right? Like you get these moments that you have come upon yourself just naturally over thinking about what cards you have, how you can combine them together to create results. And but it is just remarkable. It really is incredible and despite it being a roguelike it's one of those games that i just want to keep playing yeah, what, i just want to do another run what do you think of the roguish parts because everything you've described just sounds fantastic and i and i appreciate you you initially said you like the aspect that you essentially have a new deck each run but yeah. otherwise is is it does it feel like a huge blow when you you lose a run or are you ready for the next one or like what's that aspect like because obviously i'm personally not the biggest fan of roguelikes although there have been ones that i've really enjoyed yeah i think i think we both feel similarly in that aspect of we get to a point often with roguelikes where we just give up on them we don't like we we enjoy them for however long they last but then we don't end up finishing them probably because it requires a lot of effort and you know resources and time and what i will say is that it's actually it doesn't it took me about six hours to get my first win in slay the spire so it isn't necessarily that long um it does feel gutting. Uh, last night, I lost at the final boss with the second character that I was playing as, and that felt like a fucking punch in my face. But I then wanted to start a new run. Like, I instantly wanted to go again because I knew that the deck I would build would be totally different. I'd come up with a completely different strategy. I would try and, and you know, build on what I had learned um, to do something completely different and i feel like eventually that will probably wear off right there's only so many strategies that you can do but at the moment because it is slowly doling out cards to me like when you beat um bosses or when you end a run you unlock three new cards and those three new cards then go into the rotation of potential cards you can find along your way so you're constantly expanding your potential uh, and as a result of that, each run does feel like it gives you something new um, every time okay. you go through it. But I think really... I was going to ask, what do you keep between runs? You keep some cards? You So you every run is a fresh deck. So you start with the same 10 cards every time you start. So okay. that is never changed. The difference is, is that the options you have for cards are wider. So oh, that's, when a, that's you, a bit like um, Into the Breach, where you're essentially unlocking different um units and, yes. but essentially each run you almost take nothing i mean you take a single pilot but between runs but yeah it's, it's quite harsh um again like bad north you take literally nothing it's just to completely restart the game yeah so you do take a little bit but for me like the thing you take really is your own knowledge like you yeah. you take your own experience and you're like ah now i feel like i have a better understanding of how these systems work and now I feel more confident going into this next run, what I should do differently, how I should build a strategy and, and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I I am smitten by this game. It is truly remarkable. It really is one of the best things I've played this year. Um, and it's crazy because it is, as I said, it's a roguelike card game. Um, but that's that's just really vibing with me right now. Nice, uh, nice. 
it's obviously it's available on switch uh, i actually got sent a review code for it on steam so haven't played the switch version but i i know that that version is is good it runs well um and obviously touchscreen controls lend themselves really well to a game like this so i'd probably say if you're going to play it on switch do it that way um because card games i don't know it's weird that blizzard haven't put hearthstone on switch um not that people would Biz- be blizzard boo boo yeah boo. i mean not that anyone They're wants bad. to do anything They're currently naughty. but um but yeah it it feels like a system that is built for a game like this and uh yeah, I mean, I could just keep talking about all the eccentricities of it, but it is a, it is a complicated game, and I think a lot of what I've said is probably going over people's heads who haven't played it, because it is a lot to take in at first, but once you understand the systems, once you know exactly what's going on, it is amazing. It really is. Um, nice. So, yeah, I'm still playing it, even though I've I finished it. I think this is similar to Into the Breach to me, where I'm like, I beat Into the Breach, and then I kept playing when it. When do like, I stop? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think one of the things it does is, like, at the end of my first run, when I finished it, it showed, like, a thing where there was this door and a seal on it, and one of the things was glowing, uh, the color of the character that I had just beaten it with. And there are two other locks there. So I need to beat it with these two other characters, I think. And then there will be probably some other thing unlocked afterwards. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. And th- the other thing I'll say is it's all about choosing your own path through as well. Uh, when you, The way that the game is structured is, is this big kind of parchment map that it shows you. And on the map there are icons so like there'll be a monster there'll be another icon for like a really powerful monster um there are campfires there are merchants and there are question marks and these question marks could be anything they could be a fight they could be a weird encounter where you come out with a really powerful relic or they could be something where they curse you and you get screwed over really badly so you have to weave your there's multiple paths to the top and you can choose your way through so before you start a run i always like look through and like okay i'm gonna go this way avoid that guy but then i'm gonna get this campfire so that i'm prepared for this um it's yeah it, it has that level of divergence within you know choosing your path through it as well which i think is is a pretty unique interesting take um so yeah uh if you can play this then play it i uh, slay a spy it's really good it's really fucking good so yes cool well that said let's take a break uh and we'll come back after this break with some of your emails don't go anywhere we will be right back Hello everyone and welcome back to the second segment of today's show. It's the second segment and that means it's time for your emails. Uh, I must say our emails are, they're kind of running low. We always need more. Um, I'd really love you to send in some more. 
please send them to this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. That's this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. Uh, you can also post emails into our Discord uh, f- server, uh, link in the description or on our Twitter account. Jump in there, post a question, and we can read it out on the show. So, our first question this week is from Erdem, who's from Hong Kong. Hi guys, first of all, a quick thanks. I'm a relatively new subscriber, but I've been really enjoying your content. I just wanted to ask if YouTubers or other people creating content about video games have ever made you feel anxious about your own gaming practices, especially in regards to completion. I find that while it seems everyone on YouTube etc. finds the time to experience so much content, I am constantly missing out. Currently, I'm in a month and a half through uh, playthrough of Final Fantasy X on the Switch, where I have played the game for around 40 hours. Basically, I would like to play more, but I feel I never have the time. However, this never deters me from buying games, as I'm always tempted to pick up new games on sale, resulting in an ever-growing backlog. I missed the Wii U generation completely because of financial reasons, but now I have near enough every Wii U game worth having, mostly unplayed. To cut a long story short, is there any advice you can give me to help me experience the medium I love more? Is there, is there a way to stop the growing anxiety of missing out while it seems all around you get to experience them? Apologies for any grammar errors, uh, or if my message sounds a bit rambly, I'm writing while waiting for my bus in Hong Kong. Thanks again. Well, thanks very much, Adam, for the uh, for the email. Um, I have to say that your English is far better than me speaking another language so you know um uh, well done on on writing in that's that's very good um i there's lots of things to take here um and having been a youtuber myself and having made let's plays and things like that i think it's an interesting question right in terms of when i started doing let's plays the thing that people did in let's plays was they 100 percented games right like that was it was almost an unspoken rule um, when Nintendo Capri Sun and Chugga Conroy and all these people, Josh Jepsen, all of them did Let's Plays, they would just get 100%, right? Like, that was that was the... It was a full playthrough, and that's what you would do, which resulted in me, when I started, doing 100%. So I played Lost Wins and got 100% oh, in that, that game and, and showed all my uh, progress. Yes, Twilight Princess is coming. Uh, and you're 100%ing it. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? Why is my Twilight Princess Let's Play, however many years it's been going now, why is it continuous? Because I made the boneheaded decision when I was however old that this is how you do Let's Plays, that you have to 100% them and nothing else is, is allowed, right? And I think it's close to 10 years yeah it's getting there uh it's it's the march of time it really is a thing so in that sense i i do feel like when you're talking about youtubers and content creators and people who do that one thing you have to keep in mind right is that a lot of these people this is their occupation right it's their full-time job and so if you're trying to have equivalent playtime to then to them it's just not going to happen because they have the hours to invest into games to do everything right and to some degree it's not necessarily worth doing everything Uh, i think something that we have come to terms with doing the podcast is you know there are games that we'll sink into and we'll spend lots of time with but if it gets to a point where we're like okay i feel like i've experienced what i want to experience here I just I'm fine putting a game down, right? Like I don't I don't feel the personal compulsion anymore 
to 100% things. I don't think I ever did personally, but when yeah. I was making stuff, when I was doing YouTube videos, when I was doing Let's Plays, I felt like I had to keep to a standard which is a stupid thing but like that was just it was as i said an unspoken rule of of the community so it's it's weird right because final fantasy 10 is an interesting example that game in particular on switch is it includes like the european super bosses and that stuff was stuff that was cut from the american version and it was like stuff that you had to grind for hundreds of hours in order to be high enough high enough level to do and you'll find people on youtube who do that full complete walkthroughs of ff10 exist where they do all the super bosses and they show you how to do it etc but you shouldn't hold yourself to that standard right like you and, and i i think there's a middle ground here because I feel a similar way. You know, you're always picking up new games on sale. There's always a backlog. There's always going to be stuff you're missing out on, right? Bali played Untitled Goose Game. I haven't played that game. I'm out of the conversation, right? I'm out of the loop. I don't know what people are talking about. I'm playing the Slay, Slay the Spire. Bali hasn't played that. He's out of the loop. So you're, you're always going to be unable to be in every conversation and always going to be unable to engage with all the video games being out all the time because unfortunately the reality of the world currently is there's too much good stuff and nowhere near enough time for it um so i think it's just it's it's hard but it is one of those things that you just need to let go of right like take a deep breath and be like i'm fine i'm okay with like just enjoying what i enjoy and if i want to get to something i'll get to it but if not it's not the end of the world yeah i i totally agree and it's very easy to assume that a lot of gamers play games like video game journalists when in reality video game journalists have a lot more time on their hands in order to play a lot more games and talk and be part of more conversations well i mean to some degree right a lot of them are doing unpaid overtime on weekends to actually get games played you know and stuff like that absolutely i i mean i mean like full-time video game journalists and like you know people podcasters and and commentators and um i think even for them there's there will be blank spots in games that they've will have want to have played this year but still can't because ultimately as you said and said there is just simply too much out there um so yeah i i've found it really tough this year to say yeah i mean that's the thing like you're currently moving into a new place and you've got a lot of stuff at work and you know yeah. a usual a normal person who just you know lives life regularly they'll have time in the evening to maybe watch something or whatever but it's not i think it's because you probably feel more of the pressure because you're on a podcast talking about video games so you feel an obligation to yeah, play definitely. stuff and then you're yeah. like oh no i'm not playing enough um which is you know it's yeah fair, but and i think that's always something we have to remember is that on top of like working or whatever we are doing a podcast which takes time that is time that isn't playing video games in the right, sense exactly that, like, we yes. are still on top of like <laughs> numerous things so um that being said there's definitely a lot of advice we can probably offer in terms of how to like predict what you're going to play and how you're going to play and we're starting like we've logged all the games that we've played on backlog club that gives us a nice list backloggery backloggery so you did this in i think our patreon episode website backloggery nothing to Uh do with backlog club um (laughs) and i also have like a, a google document where i have games i plan to 
play in the year 2019 and i will shuffle that list constantly and it's two mini lists one list is games to play in 2019 that didn't come out in 2019 and then games to play in 2019 that are coming out in 2019 so it's just like a night and that's kind of like linked to what we do on the show with like game of the year but being part of the conversation and and processing everything and on top of that using websites like how long to beat and factoring in this idea that right that game's going to take six hours to beat i must set aside six hours at some point to play that game sort of thing and i think it is just remembering that regardless of how busy or non-busy you are a year is 365 days if you played one hour a day which i appreciate is a lot uh but for some that's quite that's quite a small amount but it's important to remember that that is still 365 hours of video games and that if you attributed that to some of the top releases of this year you could play a real good chunk of them if you could afford it um financially to to play a huge chunk of those games with 365 hours so like it's totally doable even when people do have very busy lives but it is about how you factor in that one hour a day say for example and i think that i personally have struggled at times but then there might be like a weekend where it's i'm more free and i'll just dive like six hours and seven hours into a game and and catch up a bit and getting getting into a gaming groove is important because i've found coming back from work sometimes it's just like the last thing i want to do right now is like play video games like you do need yeah. a bit, it's a different type of energy you want like a more passive experience and Definitely. <clears throat> for me you know youtube is a thing that i just lean on all the time and youtube is my very very relaxed like super passive entertainment and that's what i will do more often than play a game is i you know i'll have youtube on and, and that is it's an activity that i can kind of do while also maybe being on my phone while also just you know getting up and pausing it it's it's very flexible and you know podcasts are similar in that way that they're so flexible and easy to absorb and, and be involved with and some games are like that like there are certainly games that I, I feel that way with you know online multiplayer games i feel like a because you don't have to pay attention to the you know the sound or the story or whatever um it's it's a much easier entry point and that's why i end up playing a bunch of overwatch or apex legends or whatever just because i want to watch a podcast on one monitor and, and play a game on the other and kind of relax that way so you know the, it's just i think it is obviously to do a lot with mood as well but it can depend on the game right there's games like fire emblem that for you you want to set aside you know six yeah, hours to play i found it. it really tough to get back to that game partially because i do find fire emblem quite hard generally but also i like playing a lot of it at once where i like to get into a groove like i, I did with uh, conquest earlier in the year and it, yeah. it has been tough especially with the the launch lineup that we've been talking about for 2019 yeah um i'd say another thing is just what to play like that when you get a big backlog there becomes an anxiety of what do i even choose right it's 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 like people talk about the endless scrolling on netflix it's you spend half an hour scrolling and that's time you could have spent watching something and yet yeah you just that's why i spend... think lists are so great and it's almost like a <laughs> this sounds crazy it's like a merry condification of like your video uh -huh. game collection even if it's digital or not even if it's digital but even if it's on a streaming service or you know, like um or on something like uh, xbox uh what's it called game pass right so yeah it's like identifying what are actually the games i want to play let's write them out in a list okay and then let's try and order that list in terms of uh what i want to play the most and it might as you say it might take a long time to, to do that process but i think 
for me personally, I love the mental space of knowing this is what I'm going to play. This is the order I'm going to play things in. And because for me personally, and I do this throughout like my working career as well. Like I, I like to write a list and I'm going to, I say, I'm going to work on this. And then if someone asks me to do something else, I have to say, right, am I doing that thing or am I doing this thing? Cause I'm not doing both of them. And like, I, I'm, I'm not a great multitasker in that sense. Like I do like some focus and a list and a, you know, being methodical about things. Cause I just think for mental space, it's, quite important especially for me personally yeah absolutely and i I do think that planning is an important aspect so i've been reading a lot of books this year and i always set aside time in the day to read um and because i'm reading really long books it can take me a while to get through them if i don't have that dedicated time to do so so the book i'm reading at the moment 600 pages i'm reading 60 pages a day or trying to and that is maybe an hour and a half like it could be longer at points but like hour and a half maybe a bit longer usually in the evening i'll sit down i'll grab my book and i'll just read it and that is slow progress but it's progress and it will happen over a period of time but it will happen um and i think it's just carving out those pieces of time in your life to do that um because if you don't if you if your constant anxiety is oh i want to play this uh but you know i I don't want to play it now because i have to commit time to it you just have to get rid of that sometimes and be like no you know this is a game that probably requires me to play a bit longer but i'm gonna play you know two hours of it it's like when spider-man came out last year and i was coming home late and i was like okay it's like nine o'clock i have to go to bed in two hours but i want to play spider-man for two hours like i'm just going to dedicate my time to that i'm going to love doing it and and at the end of that two hours as much as that two hours might have gone very fast and you don't feel very refreshed at the same time i do like that sense of accomplishment like i've got i've got further in that game i enjoyed that and like that was worth doing like it's almost like hobbies can take a bit of energy in the same way that work can but at the same time that that means they're still worth doing yeah absolutely um so it's not really a short way of saying any of that but um but yeah i i think it is it it depends on the type of person you are right because like i don't do the thing that bali does i don't write down lists and i don't order things i'm going to play in (laughs) because because i kind of i feel at some point i just kind of play whatever i want to play like there was you know recently I just spent time playing Apex and Titanfall yesterday. And I'm not going to talk about that on the podcast. I'm not going to... It's not really done anything meaningful, but I just enjoyed doing it, and I just wanted to do it. I just want to play those games, so I did. Um, and you just sometimes have to do that. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, I've spent this hour and a half playing Titanfall 2, a game that is irrelevant now, and like, uh, is this going to be valuable time to me? But sometimes you have to be like, well, you know what? I don't have to... I have to efficiency my entire life all the time you know <laughs> like yeah not not everything needs a an end goal like the end goal can be the mental space of what you've done with that time even if that's having a nap or having you know just which going bali for a loves walk. to do like bali would get back so much time in his life if he didn't nap but he likes napping i'm someone who really appreciates that because i feel that that hour or so that i spend napping is worth it for the quality of the rest of the day that i'm gonna have after that like i just just feel more energized i feel fresher so it's not that that time is that time doesn't feel wasted to me um and i think everyone just has their own ways of getting that mental space whether it's watching some shit tv or uh, going for a walk or anything i think it's just important that everyone has their own way of uh finding that space absolutely um so yeah 
Uh, thanks for the email, Adam. Hopefully, this has given you some kind of uh, um, way to go with this. But uh, you know, it's it's video games. Just enjoy what you're playing, man. Just enjoy what you're playing. Yeah. Um, cool. Right. Our next email is from a service uh, on Discord. And he wants to preface this by saying, I'm going to use the terms gamers and non-gamers. Uh, you all know what I mean. Yep. <laughs> in, the, in the Switch era, Nintendo has found great success by focusing on games for gamers. This is quite a radical contrast to the Nintendo of 15 years ago, who also found great success, but through almost the exact opposite philosophy with the Touch Generation strategy for Wii and DS. In light of the recent announcement of the Switch Lite, do you think we might see Nintendo start to reincorporate some of the Touch Generation's philosophy back into their software offerings? We know that they want to use the Switch Lite's cheaper price point to get multiple Switches in one household, uh, but they are probably also banking on the cheaper price point as well as the positive buzz about the Switch in the mainstream uh, ether to sell Switches to non-gamers. To that end, a return to franchises such as Brain Training or Nintendogs might in fact be system sellers uh, as they were for the DS Lite. Irrespective of how likely you think uh, it is, do you think Nintendo should return some of their focus to the non-gamer market? Is it possible for the Switch to reach the lofty height of the Wii or the loftier height of the DS without tapping into the non-gamer market? The PS4's upcoming uh, overtaking of the Wii in sales uh, seems to indicate that a console made for the players can achieve those numbers, though I do wonder how many PS4s are used solely for FIFA and Netflix a service. Uh, so a little bit old this email so there are things he mentions like it'd be good to have brain training on the switch well guess what they announced <laughs> it's that. coming um, and the switch light is obviously out at this point but um, yes yes i i do i do think it's still uh interesting to to discuss this because i think that the switch light interestingly enough isn't really positioned for non-gamers just because the products they're now putting out there for that market stuff like ring fit adventure require you to have a regular switch right you need joy cons you need a television you need a setup where you are plugging all these things in and doing this thing at home and the switch light just isn't built for that at all so so in some senses its philosophy is kind of antithetical to that whole notion Mm. of the wider market that they are trying to get with something like ring fit adventure now of course brain training is going to be on regular switch and switch like whatever you can play that game however you want you know sideways upside down you know all the stuff they did with the ds with a book mode and you know the the screenshot they showed so far is just of someone holding i think a switch light on its side so it very much is leaning back into different ways to play the system while also just bringing back a known franchise uh, that they have done before um i will say i am actually pretty astonished that nintendogs hasn't made a return i think that the yeah. system with a touchscreen um also now with motion controls where you could you know go to the park with them you know Im- imagine joy con rumble holding uh, a dog's leash you know that is it's just so obvious like it smacks you in the face or going to the park and using your motion controls to throw a frisbee it 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 feels like it's too obvious in some ways. Obviously, you can you can replicate those actions on a touchscreen too, so you can play it handheld, and it, and it would work. Um, 
Did you see a little rant that Chris Scullion went on recently uh, on Twitter? Uh, Chris Scullion tends to go on a lot of rants, so I'm not sure which one. He does go on a lot of rants. So, yeah, Chris Scullion, formerly of an official Nintendo magazine, he now runs his own website, Tired Old Old Hack. Uh, and he's kind of, his attitude is, is what uh, kind of describes his website. Yeah, well, no, it, it's tongue-in-cheek, but, you know. In, in, in maybe a harsh way, Um but he was making the point that when he was writing for O&M, so this is the heyday of the DS and the Wii, so many people would write in and say, oh, why are you so, inf- why why are you loving like uh, Wii Fit and Nintendo so much? You need, you need to write, the, uh, you need to love the, the more hardcore games more because then Nintendo will make more hardcore games. And, and Chris Scullion was making the point that these are the same people who now a decade or so later are going, Oh wow, Nintendo Labo is really innovative and really interesting, really cool. I'm so glad Nintendo are doing that. And I think kind of the point that Chris is making is that Nintendo haven't really changed in that they've always done like, or at least they've always attempted and released products that are designed to appeal to a more mainstream market. It's just that they've had very varying levels of success. Just on the Switch, we've had one, two Switch, uh, uh, I've now forgotten the name, Ring Fit Adventure. Uh, yes and uh nintendo labo like these are three video games which you it's hard to argue are aimed solely at gamers uh to use that it, not very great term but it, I, people know what yeah, we mean but a service uses gamers and non-gamers because it's a shorthand and you know what he's talking about it is a shorthand absolutely and and so i think that in a way the, kind of the market might have dictated to nintendo a bit in the sense that like i don't think those things were less successful than wii sports and nintendogs because they're necessarily considerably worse products i just think that the wii came at a time when i think there was a mainstream audience that was interested in something like that i don't think that audience has necessarily gone away but i think they're probably a bit not maybe tired's the one wrong word but they've they've owned a wii they've played wii sports they don't need they don't feel currently at this point in time to to go out and buy a ring fit necessarily uh, i mean maybe it's too early to tell but you know the the, the lack of success with one two switch like i i appreciate maybe what wii sports is a better product than one two switch but one two switch isn't like awful and you could see that awful products have mainstream success all the time it's like it's not necessarily the quality of that game that was a success or failure it's just that i think the market for that has changed but i don't think nintendo's ethos has necessarily changed too much yeah i think that they will still do weird things right and ring fit is just the perfect example of they drop this youtube video with zero explanation of these people in a living room just pushing this ring and throwing it around that was so clever because the 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 vacuum that it created for the internet to be like what is this what, what, yeah. what's on the screen right in- it's the mystery box like it creates that um idea of of something that is unknown and they just they throw it out there with zero explanation which is clever it's a clever marketing tactic and it, i think it's worked because i think people were pleasantly surprised right i think had they just gone out there and been like ring fit adventure is an rpg and use this thing and people would have maybe been a bit more lukewarm on it but i think the idea that they set expectations for like ah this is just gonna be another Wii fit thing isn't it it's not really something i paid attention to and then like boom it's an rpg as a fitness game and then you're like oh whoa so the the steps there in someone's brain is actually 
programming them to see this thing think it's going to be something not for them and then be like oh this actually may actually be for me yeah um, so it, it's it's clever and and when you talk about those three products right labo ring fit adventure one two switch all three of those are original switch necessary like you right. can't play those with the switch light um so so it is it's it's a strange thing because on the one hand you do have this product that is clearly aimed at a market that finds the price point too high but that market is also a market that wants to play regular video games it's a market that wants to play pokemon it wants to play smash brothers and mario kart it wants to just get in on all the major nintendo properties which not necessarily includes stuff like uh, brain training right like i'm no. sure there will be people who pick up switch lights who are like oh brain training i remember that and then they'll have some nostalgia for it and they'll end up downloading it from the eShop. um i think that we're also in an era where internet literacy and ability to buy products from a digital storefront is much higher than it used to be so the Wii shop for example i think it was some horrible statistic like 25 percent of all Wii's are connected to the internet or something garbage like that because mm. the majority of people who own those systems you know older people parents whoever they weren't set up to just connect a device and in the intervening years everyone's owned a mobile phone people know how to connect to a wi-fi network now and it's much easier of a process these days like people know where to go in a menu to find a place where you connect to the internet therefore they are now exposed to a much wider variety of games than just what is in target or walmart or whatever um so i think that is a big factor as well to take into consideration with a lot of these quote-unquote non-gamers who may be getting switch lights can be converted to people who play more traditional video games by the nature of having an expanded view of of what video games can be or are um mm. so so yeah it's it's interesting i and and like should nintendo return to the non-gamer market i think i think nintendo have actually really been dictated by the market where the wii was something they came up with the market loved it it sold fantastically well uh, and then the market got tired of it. So then when Nintendo wanted to push on with a similar idea with the Wii U, which was similar in some ways and very different in other ways, but in terms of like the marketing, the look of the system, it was very much, this is Wii Mark II. Uh, the public were tired of that concept by then. So I think that Nintendo have been dictated to in some ways when they now have the Switch, where you can argue there are more games aimed at gamers. But... Nintendo will always be open to putting whatever system they're putting out at the time. They'll always put out stuff like the One Two Switch, like uh, Ring Fit Adventure, that can appeal to a more mainstream audience. Because I think there will be a point in time where there, there will be a much more, uh, much more interest from a mainstream audience. I think Nintendo just want to be ready for when that might happen. Uh, as much as I don't think that's going to happen for the foreseeable future, probably. Yeah, it's. Um... I think that these offerings they've had so far have not necessarily been the sort of success that they saw from similar products in the Wii generation, right? No. One Two Switch is not Wii Sports. Uh, Ring Fit Adventure looks cool, but I doubt it's going to see the same meteoric success that Wii Fit did. No. And Nintendo Labo seemed like it could potentially be an enormous hit, but ended up not being so. Um, and I wonder, like, why that is. I wonder if it is to do with the fact that a lot of the switch owning audience are actually 
more people who just want to play games like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers. Yeah, um, I think that is the case. And I think since this, since the Wii, people are get mainstream people playing games are getting the games in very different places from when they were at the start of the Wii era in terms of like tablet devices, smartphones. Um, all the kids are playing Fortnite now. It's less about the Wii Sports and the the more you know, like the uh, the video game industry is changing so drastically that trying to see something like a Ring Fit Adventure succeed. Uh, it's it's a harder market for that sort of thing and where nintendo are having success with the switch is with a more traditional gamer market because i think that's what people were crying out for after the wii and wii u like it it got to this point where like people wanted a system that had a more consistent level of um high quality triple a nintendo titles that were less aimed at the you know the touch generation type yeah and you know if those people had paid attention they would have seen that nintendo was delivering a lot of those experiences on wii u but the wii u just was so unappealing to people that yeah you know they just yeah. passed it on by and i think yes like majority of the people playing switches now a lot of people who own switches are also people who own a ps4 or own a pc or own a, a different games console they are people who have not been with nintendo for many years like they probably played n64 when they were younger but then the ps2 came out and they got that instead of a gamecube and then you know they got the 360 and then they got the ps4 and then nintendo are suddenly back again like they have these experiences that you have to you like you can't miss out on breath of the wild like it's one of those games that everyone's playing you want to play it and the system is appealing it's handheld it differentiates itself from the competition you played skyrim on 360 you love that game and now you can take skyrim on a plane you know it's it's those types of people who've always played games but who had drifted away from nintendo and now are back again because they have quality first party offerings but they also give you a bunch of third party stuff that is of a high quality and is mainstream right fortnite Fortnite being on the Switch is actually enormous. Like, I think that was a huge boon for the system when that came out because it meant for younger kids, for people who were just getting into games through Fortnite, the Switch is a great system to experience that on. Uh, And there won't be a lot of younger folks out there. Like, I think Switch Lite is actually you will see a lot more people just buying that because their kid wants a device for Fortnite or a device for Minecraft, and right? Pokemon. The Switch and Pokemon. Switch is a system where you can play Skyrim, Minecraft, Mario, Zelda, Pokemon. Like, these are tent poles. Enormous. Like, Fortnite, tent poles of modern video games. They're the Wii Sports of, like, this decade currently. Yes, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. And you can't... You cannot play down the fact. Like, outside of one game that i think is enormous that should have been on switch a long time ago and i'll probably bring it up next segment grand theft auto 5 it's the one huge game that you can't play on switch yet um but pretty much every other touchstone for this is a tentpole of video games as a medium uh is there and that's way more impressive than what Some they pretty had big sony exclusives but I, I, I see what you're saying no but, but i'm i'm talking about a wider audience right like sure god of war sells 10 million copies but minecraft right. sells 100 million fortnite yeah. is played by 200 million you know i'm talking about successes that are on another level yeah um, no that's true and i think 
of the Sony exclusives, I, I don't even know what the best-selling one would be. Um, Probably Spider-Man, I think. Spider-Man, yeah. And I mean, the gap between that and GTA Five is going to be gargantuan. So, oh right, GTA Five is like a hundred million, exactly. over a hundred million. So, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I uh, the other thing he brings up is about the PS4, uh, you know, taking over the Wii sales, mm. and I I can you know pretty confidently say that yeah, I think PS4's numbers are inflated because of the maddens and the fifas of the world because of call of duty right there there will always be an audience who only plays sports games who only plays cod and a lot of them in the uk (laughs) yeah exactly a lot of them in the uk my cousin being one of them my cousin he got a ps4 and i was really excited i was like oh you can play all these games i lent him ratchet and clank god of war and spider-man i lent him horizon yeah i lent him horizon and i lent him ratchet and clank and like i sat with him and like we played both of them for a bit and i was like really excited about them he seemed to enjoy them okay and like he you know a couple of years went by and he wasn't playing any like he played Fortnite re- religiously like he was in that <laughs> era when he was 12 like Fortnite, biggest thing in the world a couple of years ago and now he doesn't you know ki- Fortnite's for kids and you know he's not into that anymore but he never um, got around to horizon and ratchet and clank well he played some of them with me and then i think he played them a few more times afterwards but he doesn't download ps plus games every month even though he has ps plus he doesn't play anything else because his entire social world is built around fifa all of his friends play fifa they all play ultimate team they all invest money into it they all what is talk an about ultimate it. team they don't even fucking ask it's the reason <laughs> it's the reason ea has more money than god um right and so they they have mobile apps where they get the stuff. He was talking to me the other day about how he's getting the ultimate edition, or he already got it now, is the ultimate edition of FIFA 20, where it's EA access, so you get it a week early, and you get all these points that you can get loads of cards like, with. I and don't stuff. care. <laughs> no, I'm, I actually, I talk to him about it because it fascinates me. And like, we are interested in the games industry, and I always like talking to people outside of our sphere yeah. who don't play other things, who just have a very narrow view of what video games are. Yeah. Um, and so I always ask him questions about it and like what this thing is and like how he feels about ea as a company and stuff like that because he hears he's on reddit like he hears about people hating ea and battlefront microtransactions and loot boxes you know that there's an extent to which that gamer rage has uh you know become a thing that is mainstream in some senses that people like him will know about and he's he watches youtube videos and things like that so that there is a a sphere there that you can argue can be kind of negative and some of the people he watches i'm not uh, sure about like questionable in some senses you mean but there are youtubers out there who say questionable things oh wow no clearly not just a perfect (laughs) platform only for the truest who who are who and there's millions of children out there following these people Uh oh my Mm -hmm. god yep yeah no really amazing so so what i'm saying is that yes the ps4 will have sold to so many people who just play fifa and really don't care about anything else and and that's just a fact of life like it's it you are always going to get people who are you know they're dude bros or they're people who just like sports and they want to be able to play some more sports on their own because they like sports and they follow players and they support football teams and that's what he is he's a huge football fan so he plays fifa um and that's fine like that that exists it just means that not necessarily artificially inflating the number but as an install base there are what 80 million ps4s now their highest selling game on ps4 is spider-man with what 13 million or so Mm. and that's a small fraction of a user base compared to switch which nintendo tend to have a high attach rate and have in the last couple of years 
had a high attach rate with their systems uh, because people who buy them buy games and they buy a lot of games and they buy them in bulk right smash brothers and mario kart verging now both on like 17 18 million copies and there are 40 million switches sold like that's almost a 50 percent attach rate we just passed 15 million in north america alone i heard right yeah so like the attach rate on switch is wild it's really really high and pokemon's not out yet exactly <laughs> and that's just gonna balloon it even further it's gonna mean the switch light sells even more so so i think we've kind of maybe veered away from the question to some degree but i i do think it's interesting to talk about i do think it is i don't think nintendo comes back with a slogan like touch generations again i think it's more they are still in this mode of every now and again they're gonna put something out and see if it sticks i think they will eventually but i think we're talking like a decade from now i think we're just too we're too in the middle of a good thing that is very far from what their previous good thing was i guess potentially yeah and and you also have to think about right from nintendo's perspective we put out two games at launch one of them was or they put out a few games at launch but the major ones one is a mini game collection that was their bread and butter on wii one of them is a radical huge big budget open world game that redefines the genre which one was successful the second one so which games are going to be successful on this system ones that are like the second one i imagine skyrim has sold remarkably well on switch i imagine things like assassin's creed eh, probably do okay not amazingly but probably better than they would have done on a system like wii u just because i think there is a novelty for people to having an enormous thing like an open world game in what is practically a tablet yeah Um, and and that's why traditional video games are doing so well in particular on this system and why stuff like one two switch and labo and we'll see how numbers are for ring for adventure but i highly doubt it's gonna like blow things out of the water yeah i'm, I'm skeptical as well yeah it'll be like a million seller probably um but I'm gonna that's go just for three potentially yeah uh, but th- that is not where nintendo is making their bank on switch no their, their money is being made by mario kart and smash brothers and breath of the wild and odyssey like that is that is core video games for them um and people are lapping them up so you know in some senses do they really need non-quote-unquote gamers when they have a lot of people who are laps nintendo fans coming back and, yeah. and people who are maybe just getting into video games for the first time i know i think ultimately you need one of the two groups and that's where the wii u was such a flop is that they weren't really appealing to either of those group ne- groups necessarily the wii obviously right. appealed to one and the switch is more or less appealing to the other and it's kind of like the wii u appeal to people like you and me who buy any nintendo console sight unseen who would blindly buy an nintendo no matter yeah, what <laughs> right exactly because that's just who we are and that's what we love and, yeah. and we know we're gonna get whatever experiences on them um so so yeah <sighs> anyway, that, anyway that was a very good question yeah no um, fun conversation and i'm sure aspects of this conversation will continue into the next segment because we're totally. going to be talking about ports coming to switch and have a little bit of a discussion so we will be right back
Alright everybody, welcome back to the final part of the puzzle podcast. It's uh, part three, and here we are, and we are going to discuss ports on the Switch. Um, I think that it's safe to say, Bally, that the situation we are currently in with Nintendo Switch is something I wouldn't have dreamed of in my wildest imagination no. when this system was first shown and announced and, and revealed. I think when you think back to like the Wii and the GameCube um, and they were both like considerably less power than their competitors, especially the Wii, less so the GameCube. And you'd say, oh, I wish they'd port, I don't know, this random game to the GameCube or the Wii. And the argument was often brought up, oh, but it's not powerful enough. The, the company would have to make a completely different version or like a down-resed version for that. And it's not worth their, their time, their money. Uh, whereas now, like, you are seeing slightly lower scale, lower-resed uh, versions of games and companies are feeling obliged to make a different version for Switch uh, because it sells and that right, is the market a is weird position it's like that market pressure that just wasn't there before exactly like you look at a game like breath of the wild and i think as important as that game is just generally i think it's also important because i don't think you would have seen skyrim or i don't think you would have seen uh, you know well the way you had assassin's creed games but they repackaged some of those or i don't think you would have seen witcher 3 is the the major one right now happen if it wasn't for nintendo potentially laying that groundwork with a big game that people have an appetite for um and that's the thing right is because the switch is a console more than any other right now that people buy and then they continue to buy games for non-stop like there is never a moment where someone isn't thinking about what's the next thing what's the next thing what's the next thing and a lot of these games there are also people out there who own other systems maybe have the game on another system but want to get it again i think something like minecraft or skyrim are great examples of games that people will play forever and as a result it's so easy for you know nintendo to go out there and be but hey now you can take it with you and obviously that existed for something like minecraft with ipad but now you have a situation where it's an actual video game in terms of controls and stuff like that like you're not using a touchscreen, screen uh, which i understand for kids is not really a big deal because they all get used to that as we've mentioned many times yeah, in the past they're, but they're growing up um with the wrong habits <laughs> right exactly uh but with witcher now happening on switch with overwatch now happening on switch we are these i think these two games in particular are bellwethers of where we have gotten to the progress that has been made and and how it's happened over time um i want to see like why was it that this happened when was the point at which the camel's back was broken and they decided all the third parties suddenly got onto switch because it was relatively like remember that after that presentation in january in 2017 where we felt pretty lukewarm about the system the presentation and Mm. our thoughts about how it would do in terms of third-party ports and and publishers coming on board probably still pretty skeptical right because it it felt like they weren't necessarily leaning into this this the place they would need to to attract that type of talent um yeah like at that point we didn't know the just the sheer number of 
indies that were going to be on the system from the word the first few months and likewise there was that it was quite a sudden build and as you say i'm trying to remember when it was when i think i can actually pinpoint doom came and stuff you know right no you you hit the nail on the head doom doom is the game for me that when that gets announced when when that gets shown off and yeah it works like it's not the best version of doom but you can play doom on your switch and it looks pretty fucking crazy when that happened that was the turning point for me where i was like oh this is different like this is not like a previous nintendo console and granted it seemed like nintendo had fostered this relationship with bethesda specifically because in the first reveal trailer for switch they showed skyrim right so bethesda were kind of already on board before anyone knew what the system was and before bethesda really knew what type of success the system would be um so they i think bethesda are actually to be commended as a third-party publisher that put their neck on the line to say we're going to commit to this console see how it does and i think it's paid in dividends for them because in that first year you had two of their biggest games of the current and previous generation get onto the system and i imagine both did really well Um, i don't know how well doom did but i know that skyrim is a game that obviously sells forever and it still sells forever and on switch i imagine it sold incredibly well as a result of that um so so i think that was the point at which the floodgates started to open and then over time you begin to see all these other publishers come in um, and, and put their games on there now the thing is that i don't think we are in that place where everything is coming to switch still because you know there are lots of current generation video games that just wouldn't work that well on the system um i think of stuff like destiny or division or like all these big um microtransaction fueled uh, mmo-esque multiplayer shooters apex legends yeah yeah like apex to some degree but then fortnite's on switch it is a different thing yeah um and and i i understand like there are concessions that can be made with a game that's more cartoony than one that is more realistic. And I think a lot of those games, your Ghost Recons of the World, your, um, I don't know, there's lots of games, even something like Deus Ex, well, like uh, which Jedi was on Fallen Wii Order coming out, for example. Like, that's a, right. a, a very intensive uh, game. Right, but, but also, similarly, The Witcher 3 is one of the most impressive visually and just anything video games open world all this stuff it is an enormous game that looks fantastic on its highest settings on a pc that is built specifically for modern hardware and even the modern hardware that is playstation 4 and xbox cannot run that game to its fullest potential like even those systems struggle to even maintain 30 frames per second so the very idea in my mind that they would put something like the witcher 3 on switch was just unfathomable like it was an impossible task that couldn't be done and if you did it it would be so compromised that it would be unrecognizable and yet we have a version that yes looks pretty grubby like it's i'm not gonna lie it looks pretty rough that said in handheld mode you'll notice less of the discrepancy and if you want to play this game that is one of the modern masterpieces of the generation on a handheld on a plane you can do that now uh, and that to me is staggering and that it, it's not to say that any game could be put on switch because there certainly are games that i think wouldn't 
um, be able to come onto the system, but it certainly makes a gambit for it, right? And and I think we're in a weird place because the new systems are coming out next year and Switch already was underpowered. Once that transition... That discrepancy will get bigger, right? And it's about what what happens then. Yes. So once that transition happens, how do Nintendo deal with it, right? Like, what what are they going to do? Because they will start losing things like these types of games being brought over. I think by the time that PlayStation 5 is out, there's every chance Switch will be up at, like, 40 million to 50 million units sold. I mean, it's already close to 40, I believe. Right, so um, by the time PS5's out, we could be at 50 to 60 in that case. And um, I think that's a, a number that is kind of impossible to avoid if you're developing games and you want to reach a wide audience. Like that. Like I said before, the market pressure of getting these ports onto the Switch is there. And if you can do it for Witcher 3, I think there will be the argument that even games that come out on ps5 and the xbox sequel uh will like companies will be really tempted to like make uh, a less high-res version for the switch because they will want to reach that audience like i think that that could happen I, but like we joked about jedi fall in order just now like yeah but i mean i'm not saying it will happen or it might but like you could see like a Jedi Fallen Order being downrest in some way and coming out like next year, or it's unlikely, but there's a chance. So I think it's an interesting uh, game to bring up because it's a game that's published by EA, and EA famously, uh, when the they Wii U like was Nintendo. coming out, no, well, I mean, when the Wii U was coming out, EA came out on stage at E3, and there were like unprecedented partnership between EA and Nintendo, big deal, you know, they announced a bunch of stuff, um, and that fucking fell through the roof didn't it after the wii u just flopped on its face so ea i think and nintendo have a bit of a a weird relationship at the current point in time i think it's also a lot to do with nintendo's general attitude towards microtransactions and a lot of industry bullshit that happens that said they very happily partake in it on the mobile side of things and are doing so gladly with mario kart tour and with animal crossing um but i feel like when it comes to their consoles they don't like to to necessarily blemish them with things like that but you know they also have a lot of games coming to the system that now implement that stuff overwatch certainly has loot boxes fortnite has a bunch of microtransactions and and so does dauntless which is another game that's coming out lots of these free-to-play games are existing on the system uh warframe another one like there's there's loads of them out there and so we're in a weird place with nintendo's attitude towards that because it is kind of shifting to some degree as they get deeper into the mobile market um but ea and the way they do business is so focused around that stuff that it is to the point of avarice like it is just you know calling ea greedy is to some degree one of the most understated things that you could say about that company it is pretty much their entire identity at this point is just greed and and capitalism over everything else uh so i don't know because ea have said they don't think that their games would sell well on switch but we also get to that point where it's the ea um catch 22 where they're like well mass effect 3 didn't sell well on wii u and it's like you motherfuckers you put out the trilogy like a month later on the other system who's gonna buy mass effect 3 on its own a game a franchise that is built around the idea that you have to have played all the other games before it to (laughs) have all your choices carry through like what just lunacy that they spout um just boggles my mind but i also don't know 
I don't know if someone who plays FIFA, like my cousin, would get a Switch to play FIFA on, right? Because all he wants is to play FIFA and he has a system to do that. Does FIFA do well enough on a Nintendo platform to where it is worth EA's while to put it on there? But I but don't know. Every time they release FIFA, to my knowledge, and Chris, there's a big thing that Chris Scullion talks a lot about because he's a big FIFA fan and a very big Nintendo fan. Right. Uh, he always says the version that they always make of FIFA is so god awful that it's never even a fair test that FIFA could do well. That's the catch 22 that yeah. I talked about with Mass Effect. It's that. EA say their games sell poorly, but in the first place, they put out a game that was a bad game. So it's 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 a frustrating thing to some degree. From my perspective, like fuck off EA. Actually, like I don't want your games on this system. Uh, I, most of them I don't really care about, and the few that I do care about are from a company that was recently bought, who previously were independent, and have not gone wrong yet. Who haven't who haven't lost their identity yet? <laughs> exactly. Respawn still feel like Respawn to some degree, and I I dare to God hope that EA doesn't take them out back and shoot them like they have done with so many other countless studios in the past. But who's to say that that won't happen because uh, i don't have confidence that that it won't uh so so it's a situation wherein yes this is one of the games industry's biggest publishers they make more money than god and yet the switch is a platform that they don't support despite its success despite how well it is doing um it's it's a weird one uh but you know, even even stuff like Call of Duty uh, isn't coming out on Switch, and they did attempt to put a Call of Duty on Wii U, I believe, in that first year. There was a Call of Duty release on the system. Um, they, they did Call of Duty release on Wii, so we have seen this before, right? But w- when we saw it before on the Wii, it was very much, okay, here's... Like, here's the big boy version, and here's the Wii version, right? Yeah, it's just like, let's just dip our toe in in the least effort possible, you know? Well, sometimes it came with more interesting, different types of games. Like, Dead Space is a great example. Dead Space was a huge franchise in 360 generation on on the other HD platforms, and then they made Dead Space Extraction for Wii, which was a railgun shooter, where you're on rails and like you're using pointer motion controls. It was leveraging the strength of the system. But Switch is... Switch is like at this weird middle ground where it's like powerful enough to where you can kind of squeeze in the actual game. And people, I think, are cross-platform enough at this point and wise enough to where if they've played a game on one system, they will know if it's a different experience on another and they kind of want the same experience. So you do want to have Overwatch be the same as it is on the other platforms or Witcher be the same or Doom or Wolfenstein or all these all these other ports yeah. that have come over. Yeah. Um, and they are, and they really are full-fledged. Now, quality varies, right? And and obviously, we've had experiences with bad Switch ports, with good Switch ports. I don't know how many AAA, like, big third-party games you've played on Switch that aren't, you know, aren't from Nintendo, essentially. Any any big ones? Uh, like Rocket League, maybe? Which, Rocket League's not a AAA game. It's, no. It's an independent game. It's an um, independent game. But it is a good example of developers prioritizing one thing over another. That game looks significantly worse than it does on the other platforms. Yeah. But it runs at 60 frames per second. Quite honestly, that's the most important thing with Rocket League is that it has a solid frame rate. Right. And and exactly. And because of that, it really doesn't bother me too much because it is just 
car football and like you can see the cars you can see the football and the visual fidelity is not why you're playing that game necessarily so it, it works but uh, i could imagine like a you know like a wolfenstein or a doom or something where not that i've played either of those games but i can imagine the much more emphasis on the photorealism being more important to the gameplay in that sense sure like even doom is demons and monsters so sure photorealism might be a little bit but i know where you're coming from right like doom does have somewhat of an art style to it um but yeah it's i would say wolfenstein probably is more in the photoreal camp because hey um the people they are nazis but apparently they still are people that's a debatable question but um yeah and and i think that there are definitely ports that have come out that i look at and i'm like and i talk about this quite often on the show where i'm like i'm sorry but this is just not okay like this is you can't charge people money for something like this when it is this bad Uh, i think probably the worst example on switch is arc survival evolved which look up some footage for that and you will want to tear your eyes out because it i this is no exaggeration looks like a fucking n64 game and like people people say that often as a derogatory thing but i am not joking look up footage of that game it defies belief how poorly optimized how bad it looks um and you know i'm not a fan of that style of game anyway i think that the survival genre on pc and like a lot of those games look really bad in the first place it's not like they don't have a good art style they all look like asset flips even though they're not um but that is a really bad example Uh, but then you have stuff like rhyme which i played that before it came out because we got review code for it and i was shouting from the rooftops don't fucking buy this because it is so bad it's such an awful port they haven't optimized it well and they haven't put in the tlc that it deserves and 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 is necessary for it and it's interesting because i've heard some conflicting things about things like assassin's creed on switch as well yet i look at the wii u and i'm like well you played black flag on wii u and aside from havana and the nonsense frame rate going on there like that seemed like a pretty competent version of that game right yeah like it worked there was a few a few drops here and there but um it's very playable definitely yeah and so i wonder when people talk about the problems with some of these older games coming to switch like why do they perform worse than wii u versions like what why is that happening and is it because just the handheld nature of it the development uh, you know area is just it's it's very hard for them to to make it more optimized without spending a bunch of time on it um because really the games that have come out that have been good that have been excellent ports are ones where you can sense that they definitely took their time with it and they wanted to make it good yeah and they didn't just shit it out i um, like i don't know enough about video game development but oh no we are just complete novices on this subject we just posticulate and gesticulate about it but ding 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 hello editing nbz here just to correct myself because i was searching for a word and i couldn't find it i said posticulate and gesticulate posticulate is not a word and gesticulate means i'm waving my hands around in the air which to be fair i do quite a good amount of while i'm podcasting anyway it's just you can't see it because this is an audio format um the word i was searching for is postulate so there you go there's your word of the day postulate uh all right back to the show ding 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 what strikes me as unique arguably about the switch maybe it's similar to the wii u but like it's outputting two different um 
is, the video game is outputting two different four two different types of screen at any one time it's like it, it, well it's not doing two at the same time but it's swapping switching between the two seamlessly so maybe there's a huge issue with the development and trying to make sure the image and the video game run smoothly between flipping from 1080 to 720p and mm. different screen size in the flick of a switch you know right just getting a version that works in, yeah. in both both areas yeah because often one is much better than the other and normally it's the handheld is better than the the uh home home screen like on a what am i trying to say living room screen dock. a television dock. television screen a dock docked exactly so but sometimes I've heard that Doctor's better than handheld, you know? Like, it's weird. So, yeah, there there are bad ports, there are good ports. I think one of the most recent ones that I look at and I'm like, like how do you fuck this up? Is Bloodstained. <laughs> like, Bloodstained. It's a 2D uh, Metroidvania. Yeah. Like, why why is that game run so poorly? Um, it, like, it, is it to do with the engine? Like, I know it's an Unreal game, and I, I feel like there have been Unreal games on Switch before that have had issues too. And, again novice here no fucking idea about how to make games but there i feel like there is something with unreal games that they they tend to sometimes not run so well on switch and i don't know why that is i don't know what's to do with that but um but i mean epic make unreal and fortnite runs relatively well um i didn't talk about it in what we've been playing but i jumped in after the whole fortnite nonsense happened where they shut down the game and the internet lost their mind over it and uh they did chapter two so i was like ah sure i'll i'll update fortnite on my switch and and jump in there and that game runs pretty well like it it's 30 fps it doesn't look as good but for a big multiplayer game with 100 players on a map uh, I was pretty, you know, uh, surprised at how well it still works uh, as as an experience, um, if if nothing else. So, so you know, it, again, we can just go on all day about whether there is ways that people can fix this stuff. But I think ultimately, if you care about what you're making and you want to make it work on the Switch and be a good version, so that people buy it then you can do that because skyrim exists on the switch and skyrim is one of the best i here's the thing skyrim is one of those games that i heard for years and years about the problems with bethesda games and them being buggy and and messy all the time and i was like oh this could be a disaster on this system because this is even less powerful and stuff like that but what iron galaxy did with this port is nothing short of remarkable because of 50 hours of play i barely ran into any problems with it hardly any bugs whatsoever um and the few that do happen are mostly harmless ones they're ones that make you chuckle but that don't really ruin but like, the game that's so funny because caroline just had so and i said it on the show before but she's had so many buggy issues but actually quite a few games now and i'm starting to question the way she plays video games because like okay she was having trying to break issues, games right even with like spyro on switch and stuff and almost every single game she plays she'll just be like oh look at this and it'll just be the character just flying through the sky or something i'm like what have you done like (laughs) should be a video game (laughs) tester like this is pretty impressive like how you manage and it was just the the sheer quantity for a game like skyrim uh of the quantity of issues she was facing was every single play session it was crazy that's really weird maybe i've just gotten lucky but like it's to me it's pretty rock solid i just think we Um, play games in a different way perhaps than maybe yeah like i think that 
because because we know the boundaries right we know yeah. the limitations and yeah. so we don't push on them because we're like well i can't climb this because of this reason and the the texture clearly indicates that it's not a interactable object and therefore i know not to go that way and find a different route whereas someone who is not versed in the language of games will be like well it looks like i can go there so i'm gonna just keep trying and trying and trying yeah, exactly but i i i i um critique caroline's playing as all at every level in the sense that she <laughs> she's she grips controllers very very tightly um oh, wow and here's a here's a crazy one so when like her thumb her left thumb will just hover over an analog stick and then when she needs to move somewhere her thumb makes contact with an analog stick and then pulls back again like it doesn't rest on the analog stick oh wow it's just like the these quirks that her the style of that she plays in it's just very like wow how do you how do you do that <laughs> why yeah, do you do no. that and i reckon it's linked maybe to the some of the issues she faces and like as, as, as you said like that gaming culture right exactly it's um it's just, that's fascinating that's yeah, really weird i, I we mean should do a study on it sometime <laughs> yeah i know there's a really good video that went up on youtube recently which is um it's all about this guy and he was giving games to his wife and getting her to play them without telling her anything at all about how anything worked whatsoever and just observing how she like muddled her way through video games very good video um i think rasputin is the channel Hmm. um so with that said maybe let's talk about some games that we think hey these should be on the switch why aren't they on the switch because that's what everybody does these days yeah um uh, give give throw some ideas out there about about what type of uh experiences we think should be there that currently yeah. aren't um and the list is obviously running a lot shorter than it probably used to be because a lot of things are already on the switch uh mm. surprise surprise um uh, so do you want to throw any out there bally portal oh yeah you know fucking what that is the one i was talking to you the other day and i was like oh there's this one i thought about in the gym that i was like oh why haven't they done that yet that should be on the switch i didn't expect such a reaction no literally that was the one i forgot about and i'm like fuck i'm so glad so there's like some there's a game called like bridge builder or something and there's actually a portal version of that game on switch uh, funny thing i literally just downloaded that because it's on game pass oh um, weird okay so portal bridge called? bridge constructor portal Bid- i think yeah right um, and it's themed around portal so yeah yes yeah that's a great shout portal one and two would be really good choices and it's interesting because like valve are in such a weird place where people want them to make games but all they do is fucking farm out hats for dota and just take their 30 percent share <laughs> of steam games like mm. valve don't need to make video games anymore they're set for life really they're like uh, konami well, and pachinko a little bit <laughs> yeah well i don't know i feel like konami are figuring out pachinko business is drying up a little so oh, they yeah? are throwing through well i don't know they're, they're doing some video games did have you had a look at that new contra game at all seen any footage of that um i saw like a little bit of the quick look on giant bomb and i was uh-huh. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. what happened there oh boy uh, as people who are now newly fans of contra it would be cool to have a new contra but hey um, i mean blazing chrome came out this year right so that, exactly that was a cool thing so we we basically got a new contra this year so yeah, fair enough a very good um, one yes great great shout portal one and two would be excellent games and it's interesting because valve has done console stuff before like one of the famous things they did was this is how i got my steam account is they in portal 2 had a cross-play situation one of the first cross-play situations where you could cross-play between steam and ps3 uh the the with portal 2 so someone could be playing on pc someone 
playing on PS3, and you could co-op the the game if you wanted to. And that's why I got a Steam account because I was like, well, when I bought the PS3 version of Portal Two, you get a code in the box for the Steam version as well, so you can play with somebody else. And uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up with a Steam account. It was nice. weird. That's uh, why my Steam account is PSN underscore Lord NBZ which really annoys me to this day. It's just like, why? Fuck, that's, that was such a bad decision I didn't realize, but hey, whatever. <laughs> oh, like, I, hate, I hate underscores so much. Yeah, real bad, real bad. Um, yeah, and you've never played either of these games. I haven't, and uh, and they are sort of uh, one of the games of the generation, well, the last generation, I guess, um, but a lot of people talk about Portal a lot, and it's a game I, I definitely should play at some point. Oh, yeah, um, it, it, it's a good one. Uh, any more you've got? Uh I think that, I mean, so this is a a game series we talked about on the most recent Patreon show, actually, but all like the Factor 5 Star Wars games, um, I just think all the space shooters, I think, are fantastic. And now knowing that Jedi um, Outcast, I was about to say Fallen Order, Jedi Outcast is on, it's it's now on Switch. It is, yeah. It opens just a can of worms of like, what other Star Wars games could they bring to Switch? Like, what are the rights situations behind all those games? And I just personally love the Factor 5 games. And then, although it's not Factor 5, I'd also love if they brought something back like uh, Episode 1 Podracer, just Mm because that's a great game. Cool. Um, I think that it is a crime that Castlevania Symphony of the Night is still not on yeah. a Nintendo platform. Like, what the fuck, man? How is that still a thing? Uh, it's mind-blowing to me. Obviously, that's an older game, um, but I do think that it's weird that with all these things happening on the system and it, just all the collections coming out, I wonder if, like, Konami have kind of made it clear that there might be other collections other than just the first castlevania collection that may be a second castlevania collection and in which case they could put all the gba ds games and symphony of the night together um that would work pretty well but uh but yeah it's still mind-blowing that that hasn't happened Uh, and they put out that thing that was rondo and blood plus symphony of the night on ps4 and and yeah they didn't put on switch ready to go just um Apparently, maybe Sony had something to do with that. So, if it was a Sony-funded venture, then I'm not surprised they didn't come across a Nintendo. But, uh, but yeah, just real weird one. Um, mm. The obvious one is like GTA Five. Why is that not on the system yet? Um, Rockstar have done stuff with Nintendo before. Famously, they did table tennis, and um, they did uh, Bully was on Wii. Uh, they obviously had all the the Chinatown Wars. La Noir. Um, they've got La Noir on the system, right? And um, and they did a bunch of Game Boy games back in the day too. But uh, hey, man, it's the biggest game in the world. Uh, and as we kind of mentioned... I like Red Dead Red Dead 1. Right, man. The thing with Red Dead is that like that's a game that they just don't want to put anywhere for some reason. It never got a PC release. Even mm. though Red Dead 2 now yeah, is getting a PC fun. release. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, GTA 5 and Red Dead 1 would be good shouts whether rockstar care enough because again rockstar have more money than god so do they do they need more probably like that's late capitalism we just need all the money so might as well make a switch version but uh that's that's one which i think like in theory should be fine because it's a previous generation open world game and those have tended to work on the switch so far but there is something about GTA 5 in terms of the three protagonists all exist in the world at the same time. And when you switch between them, it does this thing where it like zooms out on the map and then finds the new the protagonist you're switching to and then zooms back in onto them. Mm. Where 
like i don't know if twitch would how ai and stuff would work in terms of that on switch and because they're all supposed to be existing as well at the same time doing their own stuff and you could run into each other so right, right. yeah it's um it's a weird one uh there's quite a few previous generation series that i think just should be on the system and for whatever reason aren't uh the mass effect trilogy is a big one again we talked about ea that's a similar situation with a lot of ea games that they don't care about the switch so they're not going to put it out um tomb raider and rise of the tomb raider like especially the first tomb raider that game could easily run on the system like that it's an obvious one real real obvious and uh and then there is the arkham trilogy of i was course. gonna say arkham trilogy yeah that's because that, those games are like on the wii u like what one one or two of them i believe um and they even yes. like the thing is at the launch of the wii u at e3 they had the the it's like the batman with the blue right man uh, that's cuff um, things punching. armored edition armored edition there we go and he was like armored in wii u blue armor essentially uh-huh yeah um arkham city armored edition a game that came out a year after the original on wii u what a boy that was a thing but like now the arkham games would probably sell really well uh, on switch they would do tremendously so again you know that's another series that like mass effect 3 was on wii u like the mass effect trilogy could easily run on the switch all these games we already have proof that in a previous generation and nintendo console could handle them and theoretically this system is more powerful right like there are situations that arise that may not make that the case but it should be um and then there's like some personal ones for me which is like chibi robo man the gamecube chibi robo uh that's not third party i don't know why i just brought that up but i put that on my list um as a game that needs to be on the system um because i go into kex every time and it's 90 quid and i'm like why is this they put it up to 100 90. quid recently it's, yeah it's 100 quid it's like one of the most expensive things in the store and i'm oh just looking God. at it and i'm like ah chibi robo <laughs> um the last story is the big one for me mm. the Wii, the Wii game the last story they could do a nice hd version of that they're remaking xenoblade why not do this one as well? Just go the whole mile with Operation Rainfall games and, and complete it because Lost Story is a game I've been waiting to play for so fucking long and it is really expensive on Wii. It's so so hard to find. So that's a, a big one. Um, and it'd be nice if Microsoft were like, uh, Sakurai doesn't have to tell uh, fans that they should play Banjo on Xbox. They can play Banjo on Switch if they ported over the Banjo HD games that they remastered on 360 like rare replay coming to switch or something oh yeah rare replay is another one which is like how has that not happened yet like that could be huge isn't that that would be the one of the biggest signs to be like microsoft and nintendo working together here we go you know i mean we already have it man cuphead and ori and banjo and smash like we're past that point i think rare replay is a, a big shout for them to eventually put on switch i don't know when but uh, I certainly think it will happen. Do you uh, think Ori 2 will launch at the same time on Switch? Or are they going no. to do, do like a three, four month delay? Uh, it'll probably be a year or something. Yeah. I, I, I do feel like they want that exclusivity when Ori comes out. I think they want to be like Xbox and PC only. This is our game. Buy it here. And then a year passes stupid fuckers like me are like oh i want to buy it again on switch <laughs> if they launch it on switch i buy it once right i buy it on one platform and i don't buy it on the well, other i was gonna ask like is that the sort of game that wouldn't go to game pass no it's gonna be on game pass all right well yeah then you wouldn't i don't need formally I mean, buying it anyway 
Right. Well, I'll I'll probably buy Ori. I don't know if Ori comes out on Switch. I might just like play it on Game Pass. The thing is, like, Ori's one of those games. Like, yes, I can play it on Game Pass, but it's a game I want to own. Like, I want to always be able to play. Yeah, I know what that you mean. game. Yeah, um, it's a different thing with something like Gears Five, where Gears Five comes out, and I'm like. I'll play through this and never look at it again, you know? And that is perfect for Game Pass. It's like, I'm done with it. I, there's no reason for me to go back to that game ever. So, yeah, um, it's, it's a weird situation. But, uh, but yeah, I think I think there's definitely enough on the system. For God's sake, we're all just complaining about how there's too many video games. So, you know, just asking for more is somewhat of a curse in some senses. But, uh, you know, we can still no one's ever satiated in video games is is the mantra i think is that no. fan, you can never get fans to be truly happy it, it's just weird to think about the long periods of this podcast where we were covering the wii u and it was the maybe the two or three maybe even four games in the entire year and now we're like we were just talking about our game of the year list and like we've got a long ass list to get, to get through uh-huh, this year yeah. and that's just getting longer and longer every year we do this podcast with now with the switch out so it it's weird that nintendo have done such a a 180 on where they were just generally and i think third party ports are a big sign of uh part of that change yeah for sure they're, they're definitely a go- good um indicator of the health of the system and where it currently is so well done third parties for finally getting on board a system they're not going to stay necessarily. Nintendo needs to keep making good consoles that people care about. Otherwise, they're all going to go away next generation. Um, so they shouldn't rest on their laurels. You know, we've, we've seen way too many times that the lead manufacturer comes out really badly the next generation because of, you know, thinking that they're too hot for everyone else. And, uh, you know they they trip and fall so hopefully that won't happen and nintendo will continue to be smart about what they're doing uh yeah so that's gonna close us out for the show thanks for listening everybody it's been a fun time some good conversations here um let's uh plug some things and get on out of here bally we should probably uh thank our patrons for supporting the show Thank you to our two $10 tier patrons. They are Atari, Alex, and my fiance Caroline. And thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Uh, your support means everything, especially in these months where we're about to buy a lot of games quite near uh-huh. on release. Uh, so thank yeah. you so much for your support. Uh, it really helps fund those games that we talk about on the show ultimately. So thank you. Yeah, you're going to get me to talk about a Pokemon game again. So, you know. Oh, yeah. It's a future I didn't think I'd be living in, but, you know, they brought it to the UK, so got to represent, you know what I'm saying? Um, um, we should also say that we just did a Patreon episode, which we did. came out a week ago, if you listen to this on the day it comes out. Um, and that was a Patreon show, TNL Ranks, uh, where we talked about our top five licensed uh, video games uh, of all time. So definitely check that out you can download all 12 episodes of tnl ranks uh, so that's now been going for two years surprisingly yeah uh, you can download all 12 of those episodes for a couple of dollars so yeah thank you for all your support yeah check that out uh you can obviously find us in all places over the internet um we're on twitter most of the time just spouting nonsense retweeting things chatting about the video games and of the world and uh you can find me 
at Lord NBZ. Where can they find you, Bally? I'm at Ballyman91, B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. Great. And you can find the podcast Twitter at TNL Podcast, which has links to our Discord, our YouTube channel, all the things that we do, all the fun things. Um, yeah, we uh, also have our email address, which Bally can plug, plug, can plug, plug. one more time at the end of the show. <laughs> plug. Uh this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. That is this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. Great. Uh, and also, you can find us in lots of places. We're all over. If you have a podcasting app, we're probably on it. Um, just search for this Nintendo Life. You'll probably find us. Google us, you know, I don't know. Just fucking put us into Ask Jeeves, man. See if we come up on Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, all the usual. So check us on there. Um, and review us on iTunes for God's sake. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. I don't know. That's a good. Thing. Please, thanks. All right, cheers. Bye. Um, that's going to close us uh, for the show. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, uh, next time, Luigi will be out and will have played it for a while. I think so. Will that's going to be gonna a week be... or a weekend. A week. I'll be over a week. It'll be over like a week. a week and a half or something. So we'll have Ooh. had a good time to put our teeth into a bit of luigi excited for that that'll be good and then what about putting your teeth into a bit of gooigi oh man i would love to put my teeth what do you think gooigi tastes of oh he tastes like a jelly baby man like an apple here's the thing green often is lime and i really dislike that practice i'm all about you know sweets that are green apple and never lime because you know what i bought the other day was skittles right mm-hmm. but i bought the skittles that don't have the shell they're like the chewy skittles weird and half this fucking bag of skittles let me tell you they have orange lemon and lime of the five flavors uh. three of them are orange lemon and lime no. and so i'm like less than like majority of this bag is bad this is a bad bag why did i buy this Do you remember when you know, remember that uh christmas show giant bomb did and they, they had to like taste the skittles with their eyes closed and work oh out yes yeah yeah me and caroline tried that it's actually kind of hard like, is it, it it's kind wow. of especially between like orange and yellow it's hard or i think orange i could tell pretty easily to be honest with you um, uh, but you the others give, a, give this game a go a game give, yeah. look look game. man um my mum did a test on me, which was, she was like, well, I got these, like, cheaper cornflakes, because um, we have a lot of people who stay, and so she's like, I'm just going to give them cheap cornflakes <laughs> instead of proper cornflakes. So, um, what and if those people, people listen to this show, MBZ? They don't fucking no, listen like, to this oh, show. That's what the <laughs> so, cornflakes I'm getting. So she was like, okay, I bet you can't tell the difference. So we did a taste test, and I am very resolute in being able to tell minute differences. And I was like instantly told her that these are the fake ones. And she's like very surprised. But like, I I think that I'm pretty good at that stuff. So maybe I should try the skills thing. Okay. I have tasted better. fake Weetabix before, and that was disastrous. Yeah, no, it can be. It can be very disastrous. Um, That's one to look up if you're American, Weetabix. It's, yeah. It's just cardboard. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll see you very soon in a couple of weeks' time with another show. Until then, uh, bye-bye.
The musical interludes used on today's show were the first boss from Slay the Spire, copyright Mega Crit Games 2019, and Between Heaven and Earth from Fire Emblem Three Houses, copyright Nintendo 2019.